Welcome to Policy Innovation with Nathan, the podcast asking experts how they would innovate policy in key areas from health and technology to the rise of China. Our guest today is Sandeep Wazakar, president of the Strategic Foresight Group and author of The Blue Piece. Hey Sandeep, thank you very much for joining us today. It would be great if you could tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. It's my pleasure to be with you, Nathan. I'm president of the Strategic Foresight Group. It is an international think tank based in Mumbai, but we work with 65 countries. Uh, since uh, we were uh, created in uh, 2002, we mostly help uh, policymakers to look at the future identify emerging challenges and uh, take innovative policy decisions so that uh, they are able to meet the challenges effectively and minimize the risk and maximize the gains. So what are you trying to achieve, Sandeep, at the Strategic Foresight Group and why? What we are uh, trying to do in the Strategic Foresight Group is try to make the world secure, try to make the world a better place which is the objective of uh, many organizations in the world. Uh, We are trying to do it in our own way. And the way we uh, go about it is uh, we identify future challenges, we analyze them, we uh, then uh, construct alternative pathways to meet these challenges, and we look at the comparative cost and benefits of each of the pathways. Then we engage the leaders of the concerned countries to uh, look at the challenges and try to and, and work on solutions. And most of the time, the kind of challenges we are working on are those between the countries, not within the countries. And therefore, it involves uh, a process of parallel diplomacy, where we informally bring together senior leaders of the countries that are involved in conflicts with each other or or which have tensions uh, on certain issues, and we try to help them to reach common ground. It's great to include all those stakeholders. How do you think we can innovate policy towards water? Well, water is one of the areas that we have been uh, very actively uh, involved in for the last 10 years. There are three aspects of uh, managing water. One is uh, the governance itself efficiency in governance. The second is technology. And the third is cooperation between the countries that share transboundary rivers and lakes. I'll give you a couple of examples. Singapore is a water shortage country. But Singapore has been able to use modern management techniques and modern technologies to overcome their water deficit. So they have developed something called new water, which is a way of recycling used water. They are used desalination in any in, in a in very effective way. And uh, uh, they have used various techniques for conserving water. Now, when we think about cooperation between the countries that share water resources, uh, we have lots of examples in West Africa and in Western Europe and also North America. But West Africa is is, uh, an area which is really leading the world in promoting transboundary water cooperation. So 
here the countries come together uh, to share benefits and reduce costs from a river that flows through those countries so it could be like senegal river where four countries share that river or it could be the niger river which something like eight or 10 countries uh, share that river and so the, uh, the the cabinet ministers and sometimes the heads of states they come together and they say how they can jointly harness the river instead of trying to allocate the uh, the water uh, flow between them and fight over the shares of water flow instead of that they say how they can collectively work together to generate electricity to develop irrigation and to create employment uh, for the benefit of common people in their basin that's um, that's super interesting to hear so do you see water as being an opportunity for governments to collaborate or rather it's a potential area for conflict there are 286 shared water uh, or, or 286 uh, rivers which are transboundary and which are shared by more than two countries now we have studied at the strategic foresight group all the 286 transboundary rivers in the world and we have reached a conclusion very concretely on the basis of empirical evidence that any two countries which engage in active water cooperation do not go to war for any reason whatsoever they do not go to war over water but they do not go to war over any other reason also whether it be geographical uh, Uh, borders or whether it be uh, terrorism or military competition or economic competition so once countries intensively and actively cooperate over shared water resources they uh, issue any possibility of a war between them for any reason at all so these proves with evidence from from the entire world without any exception that when countries cooperate innovatively over their over their transboundary water resources uh, they in fact uh, create peace and they also create peace dividends which is development for the benefit of the common people particularly in the rural areas in those countries when i was speaking with graham and he recommended that we speak with each other he mentioned blue peace and is that what you're kind of describing now exactly what is blue peace blue peace is uh, transforming water from a potential source of conflict into a potential avenue of cooperation so that is what blue peace is and this is not just a fancy english term the blue peace is a process which is structured in a particular way it has three components uh, first of all there has to be very sound institutional basis for blue peace second there has to be a strong political commitment and third there has to be a concrete development agenda now if these three components are harnessed very properly you have blue peace which is using water as an instrument of peace understood so sandeep i'm interested to dig a bit deeper about this century what do you see as the biggest upcoming challenge i think the most significant challenge as well as opportunity in 21st century uh, pertains to the new technological developments particularly in genomics nanotechnology and artificial intelligence 
Now, if we use these new technologies which are on the horizon very productively, we have a big opportunity, and we can do away with uh, a disease like cancer, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, we can uh, uh, improve the general health and well-being of uh, people on the earth. We can find precision medicine. We can. Uh, uh, uh develop many solutions uh, to the problems uh, the, that seem to be unsurmountable un now but if we use these technologies for a destructive purpose and we use them to develop uh, cataclysmic weapons then it is quite possible that uh, we might put the entire human race uh, at the risk of extinction so we have new weapons being developed like hypersonic missiles we have uh, uh, killer robots or lethal autonomous weapons we have probably killer pathogens which are being developed now if a big war takes place involving major players like the united states russia and china not regional or 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 local players and if really that war crosses the nuclear threshold then all these weapons which are enabled by the post nuclear technologies will be used and i think the human kind will last for approximately 3 to 4 hours in a matter of few hours the entire humanity will disappear into a smoke so this is the biggest challenge that the new technologies which we are developing uh, using artificial intelligence and particularly synthetic biology and genomics how to use those technologies in a way that is beneficial for humanity and how to eliminate the risk of using these technologies for producing and advancing destructive weapons uh, that's the biggest challenge i think it's uh, great sandeep that you said that the biggest challenge is also one of the biggest opportunities uh, for the last five years we've been living in china and they often say that in crisis there is also opportunity so I do hope that whilst, like you say, these technologies can enable us, they can also cause uh, conflict. So um, I guess humans really need to innovate policy in a way that encourages collaboration rather than uh, conflict. Exactly. On that note, what do you think we as individuals can do to help? Well, I believe that uh, in the world that we live today, the states are the driving forces of change. Whether we like it or not, humanity is still organized around states. That's the principal organ of uh, social organization. But the states act in response to the wishes of the individuals. It may not appear to be so in a country like North Korea or uh, Turkmenistan, but at the end of the day, not only in democracies, but also in autocracies, the states do have to take into account the wishes of the individuals. So the individuals are sovereign within their countries. And there is a social contract, as Rousseau told us in 1762, between the individuals and the state. And the individuals must be quite aware of that. And they must be willing to uh, take a risk to exercise their rights, to exercise uh, uh, their potential, to actualize their potential uh, 
to make the state behave so that is the most uh, uh, significant role that individuals and common citizens can play by making themselves aware of how the states think how the states behave and uh, organizing themselves in groups uh, having collaborations uh, across boundaries uh, having uh, uh, an active citizenship role and influencing the behavior of the states at the next level there are a lot of things that the individuals can do uh, themselves through civic initiatives uh, they can be at a very local level or they can be even purely individual so there are number of civic initiatives that can be undertaken by by individuals uh, through voluntary spirit and through a civic sense then finally innovation is not a singular process innovation happens at different levels so there is innovation taking place in uh, uh, on the technological plane there is innovation which is driven by the governments there is innovation which is driven by corporations business corporations but at the end of the day all these uh, institutions whether it is government or the business corporations or whether it is uh, big technology hub houses they they all depend on the individuals and there is a lot that the individuals can do in uh, playing their role in developing responsible use of technologies sandeep you're a great thinker and writer and have been involved in many policy innovation and peace initiatives over the last few decades what's your proudest achievement one of the uh, memorable experiences uh, i have had was with the united nations security council since early 90s every secretary general of uh, the united nations has uh, urged the security council to consider water on the security council agenda and because of the way the politics of the un security council is played uh, the security council didn't take up water uh, on its agenda for 25 years then in 2016 when senegal was elected as a member of the security council i and my organization strategic forces group we worked with the government of senegal and we worked with the member states of the security council in 2016 and we succeeded in security council convening a special session for the first time in the history of the un on the links between water peace and security and uh, i was invited to address the security council along with the secretary general of the un at that time mr ban ki moon and a couple of other world leaders and that was something that uh, really made me uh, uh, feel satisfied i think also in the area of water the other uh element that really gave me lot of satisfaction was that we have developed this blue peace framework which i mentioned earlier and what gives lot of satisfaction is that uh, this blue peace has been accepted as the official policy by the confederation of switzerland as the official government policy so now many swiss decisions in the area of uh, uh, development cooperation and in the area of their relations with many countries Uh, pertaining to water are uh, taken on the basis of the blue peace framework and similarly there are many other countries in the world 
which are now adopted the blueprint framework in some form or other uh, they are there in africa i already mentioned senegal which follows blueprint uh, they are there in um, uh, the middle east also and in the middle east uh, 10 years ago when we started work on blueprint the uh, they always looked at water as a as a source of war not even as an ordinary conflict but as war but over the course of last 10 years we managed to develop a blueprint community of about 300 uh, opinion makers including ministers uh, editors of the newspapers officials of the water ministries members of parliament and now there is a strong lobby for using water as an instrument of peace in the middle east which is otherwise uh, uh, torn uh, in myriad conflicts wow what an impact to have one thing sandeep that always baffles me is that we don't put more value on water as a commodity people always see gold as a as a as a scarce commodity and something of value but of course without water we can't survive and one thing that i came across in the last few years was that actually water is finite you can consume it faster than it replenishes so it's fantastic that you've been able to influence these initiatives in various levels of governance to make sure that it's at the heart of a lot of the um uh, policy making a lot of the times people ask me whether water is the oil of the 21st century and i tell them no because oil has alternatives like solar energy natural gas uh, coal which is not a desirable alternative but there is an alternative um, so oil has many alternatives some good some not so good but the only alternative to water is water that's a great way to put it i hadn't thought of it like that Do you see some deep water pollution or water scarcity as being a bigger problem? Well, water pollution is going to be an increasing uh, problem because of urbanization, because of uh, increased use of irrigation, mining uh, for a number of reasons. And there are rivers uh, in the world which have become biologically dead. Pollution is and and the general quality Uh, not only pollution but the overall quality of the water resources fresh water particularly it's it's is a serious problem and there are lakes which are disappearing the aral sea in central asia almost 90% of it has disappeared it has shrunk to 10% of what it was in 1950s uh, the dead sea which is such an important treasure of humanity jordan and uh, uh, the middle east the dead sea is also shrinking and by 2050 or so it might become a small lake so there are many many lakes which are uh, becoming smaller and smaller uh, there are many rivers which are disappearing uh, many years ago maybe again 40 50 years ago the yellow river in china used to be known for its floods and it was known as china's tears because uh, it would flood and uh, it would uh, ravage the farm uh, farmlands in northern china but now yellow river doesn't even uh, reach the sea f- for uh, 50 60 days or maybe more in a year and many lakes in the yellow river basin have disappeared in the last 20 25 years so there is a serious problem with the quality of water and uh, with the shrinking of the fresh water resources and uh, the conflict that we would see between the different likely uses of water yeah absolutely 
on that note then what advice or tips do you have for people wanting to continuously learn and help out in this area water is uh, is one uh, sector which uh, one can look at it uh, at the local perspective from a local perspective from a national perspective from a regional transboundary perspective and from a global perspective so depending upon where you are in the political game if you are an individual who's concerned and uh, who's a farmer or who's a young entrepreneur there are a lot of things that you can do at the enterprise level or at the farm level in a small village or in a small town or if you are a national policy maker then there are things that you can do as a uh, at the national policy level and if you are in diplomacy or uh, if you are in international politics then there is a lot you can do to promote uh, transboundary cooperation so basically depending upon where you are placed in the social and political structure there is a role for everybody and everyone that makes sense um good way to look at it and then more generally what tips do you have for people wanting to continuously learn or another way to look at it what do you do to continuously learn well i we talked a lot about water but i like to look at the world in a holistic way uh water is an important issue but there is also the issue of technologies which i mentioned i think there is a serious risk of arms race it looked like uh, after the end of the cold war the arms arms race would be contained but that hasn't happened the arms race is uh, escalating all the time uh, the countries in the world have spending 2 trillion dollars a year on uh, arms as compared to 1 trillion dollars at the end of cold war so that is a serious issue there is a issue of economic disparities and the social consequences of economic disparities there is a whole issue of uh, health which has become so alive with the recent coronavirus uh, pandemic so uh, we have to look at uh, look at the world in uh, in a very holistic way even if i have committed uh, the last uh, one decade or so to addressing the water problem i am very alive and i am very sensitive to all these other issues as well including health youth entrepreneurship technology arms race uh, global security and and i think that's very important it's not to have a tunnel vision but to have a broad perspective many times even the greatest of the world leaders are not able to deliver because uh, they operate uh, with tunnel vision so when they are thinking of one problem they are not able to look at the another problem that is coming up from horizon so which is why the world landed up into a huge uh, uh, deadlock over uh, the handling of coronavirus in 2020 because until 2019 the world was so focused on terrorism and other security issues that they never thought that one virus would come and attack uh, you all lot more fiercely than any terrorist could possibly and uh, before the 90s uh, or the 2001 attack on the world trade center the world leaders were not thinking of terrorism as a big issue they were thinking of other issues they were thinking of the cold war which which had already declined so the world leaders tend to focus on one or two issues which are on the screen of the computer in front of them and the media does the same and we as common people also do the same so i would say that it's really necessary for us 
to learn constantly to develop a holistic and comprehensive vision it is also important to develop a foresight which is why the organization that i work with is called strategic foresight group so we try to see which is uh, the the issues which are not here on the on the screen in front of us but which are which are beyond and uh, uh, which are the emerging issues and it's important to identify these issues and if they are going to create a problem then to nip that problem in bud rather than allow it to to acquire huge proportions and uh, finally it is also constantly important as an individual i keep asking myself what is my role in the world what am i doing is there something better i can do i think asking oneself uh, is 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 some some deeply penetrating question is is really important too as a way of improving our learning not only about the world but also about ourselves Sandeep, he uh, gave me goosebumps when you explained about the continuous learning and the foresight needed, hence the name of the group. So what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? I can be reached on my email, sandeep.waslikar at gmail.com. I'm also accessible on LinkedIn and Facebook where they can send me messages and I try to respond as fast as I can. Thank you very much for that. And then lastly, Sandeep, who would you like to invite to be interviewed next on the podcast i would uh, quite recommend kabine komara he was prime minister of guinea in africa and he is a very interesting person uh, because he has been head of the government uh, in a in an interesting african country uh, prior to becoming the prime minister he was a director of the african export import bank Uh, in his banking career so he has also headed a large corporation and after he stepped down from his role of the prime minister he was the high commissioner of the senegal river basin commission and i think uh, his words would be uh, words of wisdom and statesmanship well well i look forward to inviting them to the podcast i think that touches quite nicely on what you were saying earlier about needing to have quite an holistic approach exactly well sandeep thank you very much it's been a pleasure speaking to you today it has been my pleasure nathan thank you very much thank you for listening please subscribe or follow this podcast to stay updated as episodes are released